Good morning. Thankful to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful that uh, you made it. And I uh, hope that you made it without too much trouble throughout this week. But if you did experience some trouble and some tumult, I hope that you are seeing that as an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord, to grow in endurance so that you can develop character, you can develop patience, you can develop other spiritual characteristics that those, that that um, type of experience in our life develops. I want you to know that uh, I have lost my voice partially um, and you need to be certain that it was not because Memphis played yesterday. Uh, I have a witness. I have an eyewitness in my wife. Um, I have self-control where I don't yell on third down every third down. Um, but uh, if I was going, if just to give you some perspective, if I was going to lose my voice, it would have been last week when Memphis was robbed of a New Year's Six Bowl as opposed to this week when we won 47-17. to 17. So... Um, if I was going to lose my voice, it'd be under those circumstances. I just needed y'all to know that. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to do my best. And it's actually kind of painful to talk a little bit, which is not normal for me when I have, like when I've lost my voice. So if I can only make it so far, I'll just stop. Um, that's the benefit of being around people you love under no pretense. Um, we can do whatever we need to do, right. you know, whatever we need to do, because we know that you know, we're not trying to put on a show here. We're not trying to um, make this something it's not. Um, we're just people we love, um, pursuing the thing that we love. That's church gathering, fellowship, and the one we love. And so we'll just do what we have to do. Over the last few weeks, we've discussed the depravity of, of man, the depravity of mankind. We've seen a list of sins, which wasn't a comprehensive list. It wasn't a complete list of all the sins in the world, but it was a relatively extensive list. Like you look at that list and you think, well, this is huge. This is a big list, but it wasn't, <coughs> it wasn't an extensive, I mean, it wasn't a completely exhaustive list, no matter how big it was. After close examination of the text, it appears that we have two different audiences or at least different people groups in, to which Paul is writing. But he goes through this entire list of sins that these people commit, and then in our verses today, he switches gears. But the verses are still connected. We see that because whenever you see in the text, you know this, therefore, or for, you understand that <clears throat> there is a connection between what you're reading now and what you just read. The old... Baptisty, or I guess evangelical saying is, what is the therefore, therefore? That's the question you have to ask as you see it. What's the therefore, therefore? So we not only saw this extensive list of sins in chapter 1, but we also saw that those people committing these sins were under the wrath of God. Can I tell you something that I might not have made clear in the last two weeks, which I know you think, Bryce, if you had two weeks to do three verses or four verses or whatever it was, you know, couldn't you have gotten it all in? Sometimes not. Um, but can I tell you something that I might not have made clear? What we saw over the last two weeks through the Scripture was a clear demonstration of the wrath of God. The gender and sexual idolatry that we face now is the wrath of God. It's not just sin. It's not just generic sin. It actually is the wrath of God. The wrath of God can be seen 
when sin is made into a caricature, right? A caricature is, you know, they draw your body and it's a little bitty body and a big old head, which they, you know, used to. That wasn't a problem for me. Now it's a big old body and a big old head. But um, at one time, you know, they would draw my caricature and it was looked like, you know, an orange on a toothpick. Um, but, but here's the deal. A caricature is meant to highlight or enunciate certain features. And the wrath of God in seen in nature is when sin is caricatured. It is highlighted or elevated or, or seen on such a great scale. That's when we know that we are under the wrath of God, when we're seeing these things highlighted to such a level. Greed and, and covetousness and malice and many more of these are the wrath of God on a society that is, that is over, that is... That is taking advantage of the blessings that God has given us, this taking advantage of the prosperity of, the capitalistic, of a capitalistic society. Don't be mistaken. We see these sins so grotesquely perpetuated in our culture because we are actually in the middle of the wrath of God. Another example of being in the middle of the wrath of God is when God puts bad leaders over a country. I want to tell you, the last two presidents, have. there have been some good things about both. There have been good things about Obama. There were good things about Trump. But the last two presidents have, Obama led us into so many things that have just enunciated and pushed forward the depravity of this country. And Trump is sort of the poster boy of those things. He's sort of the poster boy of, the, of depravity. He's a poster boy of the, uh, the, he's a caricature of the American dream. So although he's done good things, it's still, if you're going to vote, if you're going to vote for Trump this year, you know, it's probably because there, you didn't feel like there was a better choice. It's probably because you thought that the other choice on the other side, any choice on the other side, and if you've seen the Democratic debates, you can really see that any choice on the other side is a bad choice. Now, some of you might be big Trump fans and, and, and that's, you know, that's for you to, to figure out. But um, these things, the leadership in our country, bad leadership is, is an example of the wrath of God uh, being on us. Understanding our verses last week sets up our understanding for our verses today. And it, it teaches us something that we all need to see, and that is that we are all without excuse. Would you read with me Romans 2, 1 through 4? Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on all who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me today? Lord, we are so grateful that your word is true, that your word is holy. Your word is right, and it leads us to you. Lord, if we focus on your holy word through the Spirit of God, through our redemption in Jesus, through the calling of the Father, Lord, we 
can live lives that are holy. We can live lives that are set apart. Not perfect, but still with the goal of perfection in mind. Lofty goals being instituted, being completed by a lofty God in our lives. Lord, we praise you and we love you. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. Change us every day, Lord. Change us permanently that we can follow you and look more like you so that the world may know you and see Jesus. We love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It'd be easy for us to look at this list of sin from the last chapter and think about all the horrible sinners we know. We could probably insert a few dozen people before we find a place to insert ourselves. There are a few reasons for that. Studies have shown that people tend to think of themselves as the good guy or the center of every story. So if you give a person a story without names or without direction and you describe the characters, most people will insert themselves as the protagonist in that story. Often, the most self-aware people either think of themselves too positively or too negatively, which both are forms of pride you need to know. But what we have here is a case of the former, the person who thinks of himself too positively. This is likely a strictly religious or faithful person, likely those who are pious, very religious, maybe a person who has a background and has has seen and tasted and understands Christianity, and maybe a person who has a background in Judaism. Maybe it's a these early, very religious, very pious people. This is the person in, that we see that looks at the person from chapter 1 and says, what a dirty Gentile. Look at that person. Look at all they're doing. Look at all the sins they're committing. So openly, so fla- openly, so flagrantly. Look at what they're doing. How could he be so vile and, and sin this way? All while having an elevated opinion of his self and his own lifestyle and minimizing his own sin. What we, find, what we find from Paul in our text today is that the religious person and the pagan will be judged. And that the judgment will definitely be carried out based on the works that are done on this earth. Now I know most of you don't need to hear this, but somebody needs to hear me say it. I know that we are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God. But on some scale, every man will give an account of himself unto God for his works. What we find is that we are all without excuse for not knowing or following God. We are all <coughs> responsible for making sure our lives are right with the creator of the universe. We will all be judged. We will all be judged and no excuse will do. So I want to look at two reasons today that mankind is without excuse. Two reasons mankind is without excuse. All mankind, number one, is without excuse because he sees the wrath of God on others and judges when he should repent. All mankind is without excuse because he sees the wrath of God on others and he judges when he should repent. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 
We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on all on those who practice such things. What we have come across is a group of pious people who have understated the length and the breadth of their own sin. A group of people who would consider themselves righteous and even followers of God, who look harshly at others caught in sins, in the sins of Roman 1 particularly, but not as much of themselves and their own sin. Ultimately, what we find is, is that all people, whether pious, whether formalistic, legalistic, whatever it may be, or caught in these blatant sins, all people are under the judgment of God. All people, apart from Jesus, will face the same wrath. I want us to look at three reasons why Paul says the religious person is without excuse. Last week we saw, what, like 19 reasons that the pagan is without excuse. Paul gives three reasons as to why the religious person is without excuse and still under the same judgment. Number one, his heart, or this is A, really, if you're doing an actual outline, his heart leads him to judge. He's without excuse because his heart leads him to judge. Paul is talking to the religious heathen here. And the first thing he says to him is, Who are you to judge? This is not the first time we see this, and it won't be the last. But for all of you who might be wondering... um, I want to I want to give you this note on judgment right now. Judgment here is not the problem. The problem is not that a righteous or a pious person is judging the appearance or the sins of others is making some measure. Paul distinguishes the type of judgment that's happening here and the type of judgment is actually the problem. It's when a person claims innocence and highlights the sins of others. That type of judgment is the problem. This is usually a a person who is focusing really strongly on sins that they do not struggle with. Within their broken down forms, each individual form. We might have a bunch of people speak out against homosexuality and divorce, especially divorce in the church. But that same person might use pornography regularly or not put in the effort Uh, into his own marriage and he's just fortunate or she's just fortunate that their wife or their husband is staying around by the grace of God. We bash opposing politicians for trying to take down the president or CNN for being fake news and yet we have our own GNN going that is doing much more to destroy the church. That's the Gossip News Network if you didn't know what GNN was. Judgment is not the problem. Righteous judgment must be used in our life. And this type of judgment that Paul is pointing out is not righteous judgment. Judgment becomes the problem when people overlook their own sins. They jump over their own sins to harp on the sins of others. <coughs> we're, reminded of, <coughs> excuse me, we're reminded of texts like Matthew 7 where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. That part is like the most commonly taken verse. You hear that all the time. Judge not that you might not be judged. I think people forget that there's like the rest of the Bible after that. But (laughs) judge not that you be not judged. Listen, for the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye where there is is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That verse comes full circle. 
It says, judge not that you must not judge. And then he talks about wrong judgment. And then he talks about right judgment. He says, judge not that you might not judge. He says, don't jump over your sins to work on the small sins of others. What you should first do is work on your sins. And then when you are clear, not clear, but when you are, (coughs) when it's proven that you are working on yourself, then you will see clearly to have a right type of judgment so that you can help your brother or sister figure out their own thing. Right judgment is the issue here. And, and the man, the pious man, the religious man is without excuse because he looks at the sins of others and he says, oh my goodness, look at that. And then in his head he says, at least that's not me. All while downplaying his own, the log that's in his own eye. Friends, here's what you need to know about judging and how to understand what a log and a speck is. To someone who is uh, ignorant of the laws of God, someone who doesn't know Jesus, there are sins that they commit because of their ignorance that are just specks. Even though they seem drastic and great and crazy and something you would never do, because of their ignorance, they are specks. And because of the log in our eyes, because of our enlightenment, because we know about God, and we still continue to commit the things that we know are detestable. We can still continue to commit the things that we know are wrong. We create a huge log in our own eye. Because of what we know about God, we develop this log in our own eye when we commit sin. No one is going to take you serious if you walk around with a two-by-four coming out of your head. No one is going to take you serious when you try to address them in love about their sin if they see a six by six coming out of your forehead. Christians, other people are in ignorance because are in their ignorance they sin. And it's really, it, even though their sin is great, compared to the one who knows about God, it is a speck. It is a speck. The one who knows about God, the one who's been revealed the truth of God will always, it'll always be a log because of your revelation that you have of God. Do you understand that? Does that, does that make a, is that a good distinction for you or have I confused the heck out of you? It's a log because you know what to do and you still don't do it. And it's a speck because they don't know about the goodness of God. They don't know about his mercy and his kindness. They might know about it, but they haven't experienced it how you have. Hebrews 10, 25 through 27, speaking to religious Jewish Christians, or, or, uh, or professing Christians at least, he says, to these people who have the knowledge of God, brothers, if we keep on sinning, there is no sacrifice that will cover these sins. Whew. Only judgment and the expectation of a fiery hell. Brothers, if we keep on sinning, there is no sacrifice that will cover this judgment. There is no sacrifice that will cover these sins. Only judgment and the expectation of a fiery hell. I am not trying to implicate to you or imply to you that you can lose your salvation. I'm trying to say that if your life is modeled by sin and you know about the goodness and the love and the grace of God, you don't know Jesus. You just, it's just the truth. 
Only judgment and the expectation of a fiery hell. There's an implication in verses like James 3.1 that speak to judgment being directly correlated to the knowledge of God. Do you understand that? Teachers who know more will face more judgment because they know and because they confess it with their mouth will face more judgment. Those who have been given a greater knowledge of God will face the facts of the result of their life. These religious people probably had a taste of the gospel, but they were in no position to judge pagans because they were walking around with a six by six coming out of their own eye. Mankind is without excuse because of prideful and ignorant judgment is the default, is the default. But also this, his sins are equal in scope. Mankind, the religious person is without excuse. The pious person is without excuse because his sins are equal in scope. It says, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, what? Practice the same things. He's saying, look, you might not be out here, you know, practicing prostitution in the streets. You might not be living with your significant other out of the, the bonds of marriage, but in a way you are practicing the same things. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to say, well, I'm not bound by the Old Testament law, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount confirmed some of these things, uh, confirmed that all of these things are more about the spirit of the matter than they are necessarily about the overall action. He said... You are going to be judged, pious man, because the scope of your sin is equal to theirs. You condemn yourselves because you do the very same things. We see this type of behavior commonly amongst religious people. We often make a list of the worst of the worst sins. Or we put sins into a hierarchical category. You know how they schedule drugs, right? They, 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 there's a schedule system for drugs. Schedule 1 drug is like the worst. Schedule 2, Schedule 3, Schedule 4, Schedule 5. You know, Schedule 1 drug is like meth or something like that. Schedule 5 is like Tussin. I don't know. You know, it's like something you can get over the counter, but it's still in the, under a schedule. Friends, we, we schedule our sins in the exact same way. We say, well, murder, is a, it's a Schedule 1 sin. And, and stealing, that's probably two, depending on the circumstances, maybe three. But, but lying... I mean, it was just a white lie. It was to help. It was to, it was to make my wife happy. It was to make someone in my family happy. That's just a schedule five. I mean, that's like taking an over-the-counter thing. That's a schedule five. And in an attempt to justify ourselves and ease our conscience, we say, well, at least I'm not a schedule one sinner. There are two common examples I've seen of this, and I enacted this in some ways, in my own life, and maybe I'm going to step on your toes here. There are, two real, there are two examples that are almost exclusive, especially in professing Christians. <clears throat> One would be in your sexual life before marriage, and sometimes in marriage, hopefully not for us. Well, this thing is a Schedule three sin, or maybe it's a Schedule two, but at least it's not the big one. At least it's not 
schedule one. And, and, and then we get to our wedding day, and, and the lady wears white, and the husband lauds that they waited until marriage when they've missed the heart of the issue altogether. There's another one, and that has to do with the vices that we have. The glutton says, the glutton says, well, at least it's not beer. And the alcoholic says, well, at least it's not weed. And the pothead says, well, at least it's not coke. And the cokehead says, well, at least it's not meth. Now, these are sort of caricatures of like the, you know, the more commonly seen sins. What we do is often say, well, at least I'm not doing what this person's doing. Or at least my kid doesn't act this way. And what we have to realize is that even those, even though everyone sins and all sins are not viewed the same, they are equal in weight. And this is how I know this. They are equal in weight because the Bible says that every sin is transgressing the law of God. Sin is equal in weight because every sin transgresses the law of God. And so although some sins are seen in culture as worse than others, although I do believe that the Bible designates some sin as worse than others, all sin transgresses the law of God, and therefore all sin is worthy of condemnation. Friends, our goal is not to find a more approvable sin to commit. Our goal is not to find a more palatable sin to commit. Our goal is to pursue holiness, to pursue the goodness of God and nothing less. Now listen, this is, this is obviously not a statement that we're going to be, they're going to be perfect. We're not going to face everyday life issues that cause us to sin. We're not going to be tempted. We're not going to experience that. But friends, if you find yourself skirting the, 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 the line or the law, if you find yourself skirting that sin, what you're actually doing is not trying to pursue God in holiness. You're trying to flee the devil. You're just trying to flee the enemy. You're not trying to pursue God. You're just trying to get just far enough away from Satan that you're out of his grasp. When God says, pursue me, pursue the good things, the holy things, the pure things, not just run away from the enemy. <clears throat> Our goal is not to find a more approvable sin, but to pursue holiness. So his sin was the same in scope, but it was also the same in frequency. That's the third little point. His sin was, and this is not up here, but um, it's okay. You, can, you, know, you know how to take notes. It's C. His sins are equal in frequency. You might ask how I know that. Well, Paul uses the word twice here that I think is telling. He says, you practice these things. What is practice? Practice is something we do with frequency in order to get better at doing the real thing. Practice is used here to denote, to denote that not only are the sins of the judge equal, but they are as frequent. It isn't like he slipped up a few times. It isn't like he accidentally did what the person that they are judging was doing. He is without excuse because he has made sin a practice in his life instead of righteousness. Which is another reason why the judgment was the wrong judgment. Because the person with the knowledge of God should work on the log before he attacks the speck. When faced with the opportunity to judge, then what can we do? 
What can we do when faced with the opportunity to judge? What questions can we ask ourselves and what steps can we take? My aunt would always say to me, and I think this is an important first step when trying to decide whether or not to judge. She said, keep your own nose clean. I think that's your first important step in trying to decide whether or not to judge. Now, this doesn't mean if you're currently, you know, struggling with a certain sin that you can't ever offer good advice or, or, or a, a kind word of correction to somebody. But we should work to keep our own nose clean. Another is that we should forgive as we have been forgiven. Do you know forgiveness, forgiveness, the way we forgive others, the way we, we offer that to others freely, it is, a sure, it is one of the surest signs that Jesus Christ lives in us. Would you like to know why? Because the world that hasn't experienced that kind of forgiveness cannot emulate it. The world seeks justice and judgment when something happens to them. Whereas a Christian who has experienced forgiveness, unmerited favor, can understand how, not always can do it, but can understand how to give that forgiveness to others. Keep your own nose clean. Forgive as you have been forgiven and choose grace and let God judge. Choose grace and let God judge. I want, this is something that might relieve you. And there's somebody in here that needs to hear this. Matter of fact, there's probably somebody that's not in here that needs to hear this. So if you want to share it with them later, go ahead. There was no official title given to you at creation or at your birth that made it necessary for you to judge everything that goes on in the world. I know that it's so difficult on social media because we're given so much information. And here's the deal. When, when, we have, when there's something that happens on social, when there's something happens in the world and it goes viral, I am not quick, typically, unless I have all the information to post about that. And here's why. God has not given me a title of assessing every single thing that happens in the world. Now listen, if you want to know about it, you want to come and ask me about it, or if it's drastic enough that I think it needs to be approached, I'll do that. But God hasn't given you the title or the responsibility to make sure everyone knows your opinion, everyone knows your thoughts, everyone knows the way you would do it if you were doing it on every single subject. Keep your own nose clean, forgive as you have been forgiven, and choose grace and let God judge instead of taking that gavel for yourself. Choose to think the best of people. Choose to, to risk being let down to trust and love and forgive. Choosing, choosing to let the amount of grace you have been provided lead you in the treatment of other people. That's very important. Choosing to let the amount of grace you have been provided lead your thoughts, lead your tongue in the way you treat others. There's one more point that we'll go through quickly. It's the second major point of today. There's one more point that I would like us to take away from our text today, and that is all mankind is without excuse because we mistake God's grace for God's slackness. All mankind is without excuse because we replace uh, we mistake God's grace for God's slackness. Do you remember those Chris Hansen videos from Dateline? Several, several years back, there would be these predators that were um, going after younger teenagers. And, and they would bait these predators into 
texting and talking with these uh, people. <coughs> and um, these men, I think most of the time, maybe exclusively, would go to these houses expecting to meet up with a younger person, expecting to do wrong things with this younger person. And uh, they would come to the house and we would get to see the video. We get to see this awkward live exchange happen in person. And they would sit and they would talk and they would smile, not knowing that Chris Hansen was in the other room and that the police were outside the door. The story here is a very, what we saw in that was a very clear image of God's forbearance and our ignorance to judgment. Those men in that story thought that they were getting away with something. Their minds were racing with excitement. Maybe, maybe in the back of their mind they thought that they could get caught or, or that it was a setup. But they, they thought, well, I'm free now. And that thought led them to just pursue um, without any other thought this thing. They were happy and in a good mood about their future until the judgment came down. And then Chris Hansen came in and he said, well, what were you expecting? Actually, I'm Chris Hansen from Dateline NBC or, or whatever he said. And then when they tried to walk away, they were like, oh, this is not what it looks like. And they walked outside and they were arrested. For a moment, they were sheltered under some level of momentary grace, if you want to call it that. But in the end, judgment would be their favor, uh, their fate. One of the greatest sins of mankind is to mistake grace and forbearance during our sin as God's approval for our sin. Verse 3 and 4 today say this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Are you to presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to (coughs) repentance? There's this tendency to assume that just because things are going well in our life means that we have the approval of God. When finances are right, when relationships are good, we may be even formalistic. We may be a part of a church and, and, and living out this Christian um, whatever is expected of you. But times of peace, peace on earth are often times where we are doing our own thing and God is withholding judgment. And he is withholding trial and he is withholding uh, this tumultuous life in order that you may see your sin. It may be revealed to you and you may repent. Another thought comes to mind when I think about this. And we don't regularly count to three with our children. I personally, this is not a sermon statement, but I don't think you should either regularly. Um, But... Because here's why. Because I think children need to know right away and often what their boundaries are. And if they cross that boundary, uh, I think you need to take care of that in, in a stronger way than uh, counts to three Mississippi or a hundred or two and a half, two and three quarters, three. Um, but counting to three is a means of grace. So we will use it at times. It is used so that children will repent of what they're doing, will turn away from what they're doing, not just behave, but turn away from what they're doing, giving them the opportunity to really see if they want to go down that road with you, you're willing to go down that road. But if you want to turn away, if you want to seek forgiveness, you can. And this is what God is doing. 
This is what God is doing when he shows, when he, when in, often in times of peace, in times of prosperity. When you especially don't deserve it, he is giving you an opportunity not to seek out more prosperity and not to seek out peace that your bank account gives you or that your relationships give you, but the peace that only God can give you. He says, do you suppose that just because God is being forbearant, just because he's showing grace, just because he's showing mercy, just because he's showing kindness, do you suppose that you will escape what is, get, what is heading for you? Do you not know that he gives you these things? He shows kindness and forbearance so that you can repent and turn to him for a greater peace, for a greater love. There are two thought processes that we have when we experience the grace of God during sin. And I want you to know these and I want you to flee from them. One thought process is that we can escape judgment. One thought process we can escape judgment. We think that since God has not judged us, that he is likely not going to judge us. <coughs> like the child hoping that their father will forget that he promised a spanking um, several hours ago. I remember looking at my dad with just mortified sort of fear as he came home from his 12-hour shift thinking mom promised that I was getting a spanking and she's already talked to dad. I know that I'm getting it when he comes home. So we hope, we hope that we can escape judgment by God just forgetting that that sin exists. Or maybe that God will judge based on what we think is moral and not what we know as true. This is what we see in the, the shift in our culture today. Um, something you will see more and more of, as a matter of fact. People who profess Christ and approve of blatant sins, all while finding a church that approves of those things also. Here's the deal. They hope that God doesn't, base, uh, doesn't judge based on biblical morality, but the morality that they have decided for themselves. The hypocrite hopes that God will judge them on something other than truth. We think we can escape God's judgment because he's slow to anger and because we have deemed something else as acceptable. There's one more little thought. Flee from this idea. Understand it and flee from it in your own life. We think that God's good attributes override judgment. We think that God's good attributes override judgment. Look at verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? There are countless people who presume that because God is kind and love and good, that he will somehow escape judgment. Christian, let me give you a little secret today. You will be judged in some way for everything that you do on this earth. Someday and in some way, we will face the result of our sin. If there is any hope, it isn't because God has forgotten in his kindness and his forbearance. It is because he has redeemed us through his son. Friends, God's kindness is meant to point you to Jesus. God's kindness is meant to point you to Jesus. It's not meant so that you can keep going. We can keep going in our own way, in our own truth, or whatever you want to call it. 
It's meant for us to stop and look at our life and say, why do I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve goodness. There are people who are godly and who love Jesus and are poor and they're experiencing tumult and they're dying in other countries. I don't deserve this. Why? And we look at Jesus and we see that his sacrifice was so radical. His sacrifice was so unheard of. It's still never been done on that level. God's forbearance for you today, friends, for me today, is not so that we can get one more day of committing that sin. It's not so that we can get one more opportunity, whatever it may be. It's not so that we can get one more time, one more taste. God's forbearance is so that we can flee and take on the full taste of Jesus take on the full hope and the full love of what his precious blood means for us. Friends, I pray that if, we're, if there's any judgment found on us, in us, it is that it is because we have worked on that speck, I mean that log in our own eye, that we have pursued godliness and we pursued holiness in a way that draws us closer to Christ in a way that is meant to help out the person that we are, quote-unquote, judging, and not just to dismiss them. That's a sort of a last thought that wasn't in the outline, but if our judgment is meant to dismiss and not to help, even if it meets some of these other qualifications, you can just assume that your judgment is in an ungodly manner. If your judgment is dismiss or throw away, Pray with me today. Lord, you are good and you are holy. Your judgments are perfect and pure. They are not clouded by mortality. They are not clouded by sin. <clears throat> Lord, would you help us to pursue you rightly and fervently so that in the end we may know you more and we may help others in this world and not just cast them away, but draw them to you. Thank you for Jesus, who is the great forbearer. He, by taking on the wrath of God, he is the great forbearer. He is the great redeemer of our sin. God, we love you so much and we praise you. Would you help us to pursue holiness as you are holy? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.